This is the Alchemy of Art podcast, episode 84, an interview with Lisa Sear. Our quote of the day was said by Louis Armstrong. He said, what we play is life. Seems to me it ain't the world that's so bad, but what we're doing to it. And all I'm saying is, see what a wonderful world it would be if only we'd give it a chance. Hello, everyone. The purpose of this podcast is to share creative ways to transform our lives. Alchemy was the ancient study of changing materials from one thing into another. And we all do this every day. Whether you are a painter, a sculptor, a baker, or a gardener, every choice you make is transforming our world. On this podcast, we explore ways we can change both our physical and spiritual selves for the better. On this podcast, we hunt for the wise balance between accepting what is and taking empowered action. I am an artist. I sign my paintings with the name Vita. I teach online and creativity classes and have written a few books, including The Alchemy of Painting, Developing Your Style and Purpose, and my new book that was recorded for Audible, Start Selling Your Art, A Guide for Starting a Professional Art Business. When this podcast first started, it was to share just stories about artists that morphed into artist interviews, and now we've expanded the topic of discussion to include ways that everyone can harness their creative energy. You can find out more about me and my work on my website at studioalchemy.art. And now for our topic of the day, an interview with mixed media painter, Lisa Sear. Here is Lisa's biography. The visually compelling imaginative works of artist and author Lisa Sear use symbolism, metaphor, and allegory to stimulate curiosity, provoke thought, and encourage further introspection a poetic rhythmic synthesis of drawing, painting, collage, and assemblage. Sears' visually tactile mixed media works are composed to collectively create a new reality with a more expressive and symbolic arrangement, transforming the ordinary to the extraordinary. A graduate from the Massachusetts College of Art and Syracuse University, Sears' artistic oeuvre of imaginative realism has been exhibited in museums and galleries, including traveling shows with the Society of Illustrators of New York and Los Angeles. Her work has been featured in magazines, books, and online, including numerous features in Spectrum, the best in contemporary fantastic art, Infected by Art, Acrylic Works, The Best in Acrylic Painting, and Insight, The Best in Mixed Media. Her work is included in the permanent collection of the Museum of American Illustration in New York City, as well as in private collections, of course. Sear writes for many of the creative industry's leading art publications and has authored seven books on art and design, including the mixed media bestseller Experimental Painting and Art Revolution. She teaches at the Hartford Art School MFA program in illustration and Marywood University Masters with the Masters MFA program for designers and illustrators. 
Sierra is a lifetime artist member of the Society of Illustrators in New York City. And this is one thing she said that I just loved. She said, every day I come across something that triggers my interests from the mundane to the profound. I am inspired by life. Whether I'm drawing, painting, writing, teaching, or lecturing, all my work is about communicating with an audience on some level. I'm uh, subscribed to Lisa Sears' newsletter, and I highly recommend that you do so as well because you'll find out about upcoming events that she has going on, and you can do that by signing on at her website, seerstudio.com, and I will have a link to that in the show notes. Now, without further ado, here is my interview with Lisa Sear. Lisa Sear, welcome to the show. Thanks, Eddie. Thank you so much for having me. I really look forward to talking to you today. Well, I'm, I'm happy to have you here. My first question for you is, what is the story of how you became an artist? Well, you know, I was thinking about that. And really, I think all artists are really, that's who you are. You know what I mean? It's not like you become this thing because of something. I think if you have a, a sense of curiosity and you love making something that wasn't there before, okay? And whether that something is, you know, baking something, doing something in the garden or using pencils or cutting up paper or, you know, using materials of scraps of something. I think that's a creative being. I think all of us have that sense of curiosity. I think it's with us when we are very, very young. You know, I think I, I have a daughter and, you know, I think being a, a mom, I had my daughter was just almost 40 and seeing from, you know, a professional artist's eyes, her curiosity and her growth and how, you know, like, oh, we could do this and this, you know? And I think being an artist is really a state of mind. You know what I mean? I mean, mm -hmm. you could use the, the aspect of, oh, professional artist, and that's because you have a business and all of those kinds of things. But I, I mean, that's a commercial end of art. But I think if you say, how you become an artist. I think it's not what you do. I think it's who you are. And I think all of us know when we see other little creative beings out there, you know, because we all connect to that excitement of making something with pretty much what we see in front of us, you know? And I think it's just a sense of, um, being curious and wanting to explore and wanting to try new things, um, always trying to learn new things. And those are the things that I think um, if we take the word artist out and we say creative being, I think it's probably a better description. So is it something you consciously say to yourself like when you're a little kid and you're just having fun making things? Oh, I'm an artist, you know? I don't think that. I think it's more uh, you're just drawn mm. to things over others. You know what I yeah. mean? And and if you got a book report, yeah, you're excited to design the cover. 
You know what I mean? I mean, that you, we have things like, I mean, that what's your favorite part? Oh, telling the story or um, the way you like to play games, you know, like invent things. I think that's what, to me, being a creative being is. It's not yes. necessarily, you know, how do you become something? You're already that. So anybody that may be listening where maybe art is something is new to them or mm. it's something they want to start exploring don't feel that there has to be all of these things you know these commercialized things that need to be added yes. on to that title yes are creative and you know whether your creativity starts um, you know, with one material, uh, whether it's quilting and you're adding things. I have artists, MFA students of mine that will do illustrations, children's books, just out of cloth and embroidery. And they're the most beautiful things ever. And some of them will, you know, kind of sculpt little sculptures and move them around and then photograph that. And those become books. Everybody enters into the creative process in their own unique way. And yes. As a mixed media artist, I kind of always tell my students, it's like I speak different languages. So mm -hmm. if you think yes. of every media, like watercolor, mm -hmm. it's one language like that with Spanish or something, you know, and then, <laughs> you know acrylic is something else and, and, and drawing materials are another thing. When I'm working on something, it's like you're a coach. Who am I uh -huh. putting for the best job? You know what I mean? Like, right. you know, oh, this is totally a, a, you know, a job for graphite, you know, and then this guy will put it, and then you kind of put it together. But when it comes to teaching, I think people come into the process through different languages that are mm -hmm. sort of natural for them. So I'll have yes. students that are more 3D, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. They think mm -hmm. more sculpturally. And so what I do is I meet them where they are. Okay? Yes. So that way, it's kind of like if they were foreign, I speak their language and then they feel comfortable. And, then, <laughs> and it's like, let's guide you on the path. And it's a different approach. Like I know sometimes there'll be teaching experiences where it's like, okay, you make this and everybody copies and then you learn to be like, you know, the same. Yes. And I'm kind of more of a believer in meet people where they are in their process. You know, they have different backgrounds, different experiences, different things. Put all those things into your creativity because mm -hmm. your art is not what you do. It's who you are. So that's, yes, I guess yes. my whole thing. Yes. About that, Wonderful. Say. Yes. Yeah. So this reminds me of several things, uh, Lisa. One, when I was in college, I was majoring in art and I'm mm -hmm. painting 10 hours a day and I'm yeah. all into it. And I was at a party one night and somebody said, oh, what's your major? What do you, what do you do? You know? And I said, I'm an art major. I'm an artist. And I, and I felt really uncomfortable <laughs> because up until that point, I hadn't really thought of it as a, an identity. You know, it's just mm -hmm. like, I'm just, I just can't stop taking the art classes. I just, I'm just doing and doing and doing. And there have been times in my life when I was very professional, you know, taking that like, okay, I'm selling things, I'm doing art mm -hmm. fairs, I'm doing all this. And other times I had to sit back and just let it be for me. Mm -hmm. 
so we go through phases yeah. and um and it i think i love what you're saying about it's it's who you are it's what you put into all the creative aspects of your life it, there's no ending to it it's not like oh well once you've got the degree then you're done learning or it, it's it keeps going yes yep. Yeah. yeah. And it changes, you know, mm-hmm. through time, whether you have, you know, a family or you move, you, you experience other cultures, artists. It's not like, you know, it's funny because I've, I've also, um, I, I've written books in, you know, creative process and, and also technique, but I have five other books and many different articles and I actually teach the MFA students uh, promotional strategies and branding for artists. And so when you're talking about authenticity, if we get to the more commercial end of what an artist is, it's the same because to get to who an artist is and, and, and that authentic self, mm-hmm. and then you put that out into the culture, uh, meeting synergy with the people that are going to respect what you naturally bring to the table, then you've got something. Okay. Mm. And the, the artists that go in there and they get confused and they look at, well, this is a market. So now I have to conform to this. Mm-hmm. That's going to be like a, a roller coaster. And yeah. uh, I always g- give the example uh, to my students. I said, it's like when I was young, I had this hamster. Okay. And the hamster would be on his wheel all night long. Like, you know, he's like going on the wheel, all kinds of energy all night long. <laughs> And then the little guy gets off the wheel and he's at the same point of when he started. So it's kind of like, yeah, I'm doing shows. Yeah, I'm doing this. Yeah, I'm doing that. But where are you going? Okay. It's like being in a car and you put all this, you know, you put the gas in, you put all these things into your car and you're driving. You're just driving. Well, naturally, we all would find out, well, you're going to run out of gas because you don't know where you're going. Okay. okay. Even if you, when you know where you're going, you're not going to have that. It's not going to be a perfect straight line, mm. but mm-hmm. you're going to be driving that car. You're going to see the roadblocks, but you still got your eye on the horizon of where you're going with something and where you're going with something has to do with who you are. It's going to be a place that's going to continue to be something that is a robust experience, even in the third act. In the third act, <laughs> much older, right? Yes. If you are not living an artist, you know, in your in in your authentic artist self, then you are at an uh, a crossroads where you're constantly changing yourself, changing yourself to fit, to fit, to fit, to fit, and then you get to a point. And I have a lot of. MFA students who are many are older they don't come in you know much you know like right after undergraduate school and had successful careers but feel lost because they've Mm -hmm. they've many are illustrators okay and some are painters Uh, I work at a couple programs some are graphic designers animators other things and they get to a point in their career where they say I'm successful I've got a successful business but I'm not happy so mm-hmm. what mm-hmm. is, what is the goal then? You know what right. I mean? If you've right. already achieved that income, you're, you know, you've been written up in magazines, you, you know, you're head of clubs, you, you all this stuff, it all looks great on paper, but what is it doing to serve you? Mm-hmm. If it's mm-hmm. not in service to you or your family or your life or where you're going, where you're driving that car, then you got to make changes. Mm-hmm. And it, 
when I find when the students tap in, when they get it, when they tap into that creative self, then we can take all our strategic thinking that we know about marketing and branding and they just take right off. It's kind of mm-hmm. like a, it reminds me of when you're making a snowman, right? You know, you start out, it's just like a little, little ball, right? And then you start rolling it around and it's like creating like this massive thing very quickly because it's being, snow is being compounded on all sides. When you know where you're going and when you know what you want to put out, what's that message you want to put about out about who you are as, you know, what you have to offer as a creative person, you're able to gain leverage for projects because mm. you're, you're targeting the right types of projects, the right types of people. Right. And when you have leverage, every project you do creates leverage for the next, right. you know? It's yeah. not just like a one and done, one and done. <laughs> I did this one and done, one and done. There, if it's fine art, it's the right jokes. It's the right collectors. It's the right, you know, mm. magazines for press or whatever it is. You know, with illustration, it might be targeting the right jobs, the right, you know, clientele, the ones mm. that will, you know, profile you in the right way. I always tell my students, when you're working, work smarter, not harder. Mm. Step back, mm. have some more strategic thinking have time to reflect and work in a journal every day. You know, we are so busy. We're so crazy. Things happening all the time. We miss the aha moments that happen Mm. in our life. And Mm. there are aha moments, little things that happen. And if write it on a napkin, put it in a book after, if you're, if you're out somewhere or whatever, when you look at your thoughts, over a period of time, like in a journal, you will start to discover connections between things. Jesus, mm-hmm. I didn't even know that was so important to me. Maybe I should think more about this, you know, mm-hmm. look more into this. We get into like habits, right? We get into these things that we do in repetition. And it's before we know it, it's like, oh my God, 10 years just went by. Or, you know, <laughs> the other thing that I also find that happens a lot with, um, people that I mentor and, and, and work with is they put band-aids on things. So okay. they have a feeling, you know, they really want to do something and then they go, Oh, well, I couldn't do it. And they busy themselves into something else. So okay. they don't have to think about it. Right. So I make it real clear. I said, that band-aid is still going to be there. So you mm-hmm. have to think about things in terms of how important will it be to you to do that little busy thing, you know, that you had over there when you're say, let's, let's be really like 200 years old, right? <laughs> you're going to be, you know, you know, it's time, right. Or do that thing that you really wanted to do. Oh, it's clearer than day at that point, right? It's people will busy themselves. So sometimes mm. you have to, you know, step back and think about, what are the choices, you know, simplify. And when you can be honest with yourself about what you're, what you really want and when you're really happy, then uh, commercially you'll be successful because you're spending time even, and there is ways of making money, lots of ways of making money, but even at the end of the day, you're still going to be happy because you're creating the work. I mean, even if everything went away, you know, you create, it's time well spent. 
Mm -hmm. spending time doing something because you think it's going to do something for you. You know, that's just mm -hmm. a different way of looking at it. So yes. whether you're just, uh, you know, a, a, a hobbyist or you want to take this full commercial, you know, mm -hmm. the advice I'm giving you is from somebody who has written many books, profiled people and the books that I've written in promotional strategy for artists, they have to be at least one third international, although they're probably more like two thirds in some of the books. But it's a global perspective. Mm -hmm. And it's thinking about the artist, not in like the cheesy, oh, you're a widget and let's apply business, you know, the business kind of like marketing to an artist. Mm -hmm. You can't do that to a creative being. A creative <clears throat> being, not just all of a sudden, oh, I'm going to be new and improved and now I'm going to just target this because it's this new kind of market. You're yeah. an emotional uh feeling being to change mm -hmm. what you you know are emotionally and connected to of where you want to explore you're just going to you're you're going to procrastinate and that's why I see mm -hmm. a lot of people do and you're not going to move forward you're not going to be mm -hmm. viable in the third act for sure because you just would hate it at the end you know what i mean like mm -hmm. you change too much so everything that i'm kind of saying is if you want to go like super into like branding and really um, targeting and strategic thinking and just being an artist who just loves to do the work that they love to do. Mm -hmm. Yes. Yes. Oh, so good. So good. <laughs> um, my second question for you is, I think that you are a lot like me. I love modern, splashy, textured painting. I love emotional color. And I also love realism. And mm -hmm. your work has, um, you, know, you know, maybe at the focal point, a beautifully rendered, realistic, natural form, but then you're also letting go mm -hmm. around that. You're showing the graceful, true proportions of things, right? That, that's what I love. I, I love weaving the two together. How has your approach to this changed over time? How do you feel about realism? And is and you know that, that super abstraction and realism feel to me like opposites, right? Yeah. And 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 I will oftentimes lean one way, and then I'll lean the other way, and then I'll lean, mm -hmm. you know. So I'm I'm doing this back and forth, yeah. back and forth. I don't know if you feel that way about it, but I'd love to hear your thoughts on this. Yeah. So it's it's kind of a combination of imagination, you know, imaginative elements and realism. And the great Howard Pyle, and Howard Pyle was a, a very well-known uh, teacher, illustrator, he taught Norman Rockwell, lots of famous people. He said, it's what you put into the work from within that makes it great. Mm -hmm. So Here's this guy, he's this commercial illustrator, wonderful painter, and he's saying, what you put in it from yourself makes it great. So when you're painting from your imagination and you're putting down a sense of a field of abstraction, it's an environment, okay? It's a, when you have dynamic energy, color, flow, texture, into a surface compositionally and it, it, it works, whatever you put into that will work. 
it's a different way of thinking than to um, kind of work like in a, a section at a time. You see what mm -hmm. I mean? Mm -hmm. And so there's some techniques that, um, you know, your listeners might want to explore. In the surrealist uh, movement, they had writers and painters work in a process called automatism. And automatism is a sense of being stimulated and it could be through sound or music or reading or whatever. When you paint and you're painting, you know, using your full body, you know, and moving like, like music because we're rhythmic people, you know, when we, just an example, if we hear music, we start to dance and all of a sudden everybody's kind of in the same rhythm because we're all in rhythm, rhythmic movement. So when we respond to sound or we respond to music, that becomes apparent in the work. So you can control that. You can control what you listen to, what you've read up to that point, what you watched on television, all that gets put into the environment that you, you create. I'm actually teaching a class right now um, through Visual Arts Passage. It's like visualartspassage.com. Uh, it's an online um, training ground for uh, artists and illustrators and concept artists. And I have them do an assignment where they're creating an abstract color field. And I show them different techniques on, on how to do that. And, you know, they're always surprised how much what they've just been exposed to influences the work that they do. Mm -hmm. And it's because we, how we feel, okay, our energy level, um, you know, our emotions, everything gets put into the painting of what we create. Mm -hmm. So when I put together, um, you know, sort of a, a color field, I can use that sense of what am I, you know, what am I stimulating my, my brain with? And I, I love things like from uh, even different cultures too, uh, scores epic scores you know mm. for the movies and you just feel like you're in this space the other thing is how do you go into your studio do you just go in start putting all your stuff down and you know start painting like for me i need a transition so mm. i will just start playing you know where i oh. just get into this space and you know, just using scrap materials and maybe inside my sketchbook with like, you know, some paint that was left over from the night before, just to exercise that power of what if, what if I just put okay. a big mark over here? What if I do this? What if I do that? It's kind of like the same experience of somebody who is trained athlete right they 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 go out and they just do things that don't mean anything they're just exercising yeah. and when you exercise your brain to make that shift into that creative side of what you do it can transition in a period of like five minutes so if i am you know at the doctors or waiting for an appointment i don't look at my phone I whip out a sketchbook and I'm, I'm yeah. in that zone, like immediately. I forget uh -huh. who's out there, what's going yes. on. Yes. I always tell people, it's kind of a funny story, but when my daughter was younger, I used to say, I've written books in Carline. 
So Carline, when you know when they're little, you uh, basically wait for them in your car, parked, you know, like on a side, and then okay. all the moms are in a row, and and everybody's on their phone, and not me. I got like stuff spread out. I'm working on a book, and I mean, I'm just in the zone. So mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I always try to use because a lot of times people say I'd love to do painting, but I don't have like ten hours and stuff like that. I said, you know what? You don't realize how long five minutes actually is. Yes, yes. And I say to them, I remember one time I was in, because um, I, I have some back issues from painting a lot for long hours. Oh. Um, so I would go to physical therapy. And um, one time I remember that usually they make you go on the bike first. But one time she says, well, go on the Stairmaster. She goes for five minutes. I go, five minutes, just five minutes. And she goes, just go on the Stairmaster for five minutes. I swear, after a minute, I thought I was going to die. It was like, oh my God. <laughs> yeah. And it's like on an incline, you know? Yeah. And yeah. so <laughs> let me tell you, five minutes, it's a long time. Yeah. And when you're yeah. in the zone for five minutes, you know, so you got five minutes here, five minutes there, 10 minutes here. One of the exercises when I was doing some teach before COVID, um, doing more undergraduate in the classroom teaching, I taught a series of classes and we'd start them out freshman year. And of course they would finish senior year. So when, and instead of like, oh, senior year, let's have professional practices and learn how to be a business and all this stuff. We started them out like freshman year. And it was all about uh, kind of one of the things I'd say, okay, so remember all this stuff in high school and, and, and you know, in junior high that you did to fit in. Okay, we're gonna forget all that stuff. And now we're gonna go back and be you. Okay. So, you know, getting back to uh, kind of like what I was talking about with uh, those students is they would start this, this process of learning how, you know, to kind of be them and to be uh, back to those, the, those basics, you know what I mean, of, um, of learning, you know, mm -hmm. and I think whether you're, you know, I know we were talking about uh, using your imagination, that training, okay, of how to get in that mode. So I gave them a sign because they love their phone. I said, <laughs> you're going to have to give me, because it was all about time management, this particular thing. I said, you're going to have to log in like every hour what you did, because they're all like, I never have time to do my work. And I, you know, so log in how many hours for that one week they spent like my, my, you know, like on the phone, just looking at YouTube videos <clears throat> and doing this and doing that. And then I said, can you imagine if you just took out your sketchbook or you did this or you did that? And, it, you know, not all of them will embrace it, but I've had one student and I, try not to cry after he told me this but he oh. said no this is the happiest I've been in a long time yeah yeah I got oh god you know it's more than just having time management to do your art because I was yes. just finding they just weren't managing their time you know yeah it was not it, it became not an exercise anymore in time management it became a realization of how they're spending their time yeah and we had a good conversation about garbage in, garbage out. Mm -hmm. And garbage in, garbage out is something I kind of say about if you put, that's the other thing. When I'm painting, I'm listening to audiobooks. 
I'll listen mm-hmm. to Joseph Campbell. I use, I'll just listen to all kinds of ways yeah. of thinking and symbolism. And, and so this is where when I'm doing a painting, it's not like, oh, I got to do all kinds of research. It's already there. Yeah. Yeah, it's ongoing. Yeah. It's ongoing. And mm. what I think I was trying to teach them is mm. what you expose yourself to what you surround yourself to it all is going to be in the work. Mm-hmm. And if you're struggling mm-hmm. with ideas, it's because you're not bringing in the things you need to bring in. So if you have interest in a certain kind of thing, learn as much as you can about it. But you can listen to podcasts, right? You can listen to books on tape and your library is wonderful because, you know, obviously you can listen through audio, you know, right, get downloaded from, you know, your, your, your computer. But I used to love to just go to library, just I love the library to go with my daughter all the time. And I would have like four or five different things coming from abroad. Because yeah. there's these library inter um, interlibrary international interlibrary loans and stuff like that, of, and then it got to the point where um, uh, librarians, I love librarians, they would suggest. Oh, I used to be a librarian. <laughs> oh, okay. See, I love librarians. They would suggest. They would go, oh my goodness! It was like they were working for me. Of the next thing I could yes. listen to, and I'd mm-hmm. be and so, you know. If you use your time and you allow things to come through you, your brain loves to take disparate things. It loves to take things that um, you wouldn't think connect, you know, mm-hmm. make something out of them. So when you're do when you're talking about <clears throat> imagination, mm-hmm. you gotta feed the imagination. Yes, feed it. So yeah. when you talk about that connection between imagination and realism, you make these things and then you see things in it. Our, our brain sees things in it. I'll see a figure in it and I will pull it out. Okay. They're not like separate worlds there. It starts with, there's something mm-hmm. that's going on. I'm thinking about something and I'm moving and it's, it's about that experience. So I have to have the, you know, the, that, good things coming in, have that energy level. And then I see something, it could be a landscape or whatever, and you see, or a figure. And then you use your skills, right? That you've learned um, to pull those things out. And, you know, your reference material is your reference material. So when people watch me, I have so many cameras set up here now in this studio, <laughs> when they watch me work, They'll look at it and they're like, wow, it doesn't look like what you're working. Yeah, because I'm just using it, the reference as what would I want for lighting? You know what I mean? Like, but I need to change the eye because there's something rhythmic in the abstraction that wants me to make that change, right? Ooh, yeah. You know, so you're combining languages. Mm. You're combining languages with mass and shape and combining languages of color that might a loss of edge, you know? <clears throat> and so you can't do that when you're just starting out like with a white surface because you're trying, then you're just, all you're looking at is this something that's already, it's already there. It's in a, in a photo or whatever it is that you're working from life or whatever, it's there. But when you have a field that's there, that field, as you make a mark for like a cheekbone or something, there's something that 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 
you're also now working with, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Like a texture Mm -hmm. that comes in. And so you make edits, you know, you can, there's something there, you know? Mm -hmm. So instead Mm -hmm. of just a tone ground, right? You're talking about something that is an environment that has an existence and a flow, you know, all its own. And then you try to find ways in which the gesture of the figure, you know, or the, you know, the way the, the profile or whatever it is that you're doing, it's then it's, um, I, I always think in my head, well, you might be young to know about this commercial, but is it live or is it Memorex? You know, it used to be a commercial okay. that yeah. was on TV for a, a while. And it was kind of like, is it real? You know, no, I don't know. And what I think I love about um, when you create a pre-existing density or you create an abstract environment, you just need to put enough believable information mm-hmm. so that the viewer believes in your story. Uh-huh. You know what okay. I mean? Like, uh-huh. It, uh-huh. it's like just enough with the lighting and, you know, whatever it is that you're doing that they believe in that world, that they believe that figure or whatever it is you're doing lives in that space. It doesn't have to be fully realized or, you know, anatomically necessarily perfectly correct. It often will look better if it's well-designed than well-executed. Because if it's well-executed, sometimes that full realism starts to be boring. Whereas when you have loss of edge and things come in and out of the environment and the eyes get more expressive or something in the lighting is double Mm -hmm. lighting that might not happen, but it just looks dynamic because you are creating patterns of eye flow. You know what I mean? You're Mm. you're thinking about it as design. And so design, color... Um, you know, even when my students are doing figure drawing, you know, we would have figure drawing classes and I'd say, yeah, you see all these, you know, different tones and everything, but also look for where you can pull the light, you know, cause you have yeah. the, you have the power of accentuating and pulling back and mm. where do you do that? You know, where do you edit those things? And it's really about you know, what you're trying to communicate, but also like where you want the, the pattern of, of energy to go. And I was just reading some things the other day um, from uh, a book that uh, the author, I can't remember the name of the author, but he uh, had a couple of students who would, uh, they kind of put together thoughts about what he thought about in painting and drawing. Okay. okay. It was awesome because it would show like the way Sargent would uh, simplify when he'd do a sketch and he okay. would you know, get darker with the line in like certain areas and then pull up. And those were notations of where he was gonna lose edge and have a harder edge. And Sargent okay. never, ever, ever, ever like, like painted something like it's an outline. He yeah. built his edges. And so mm-hmm. even when I'm working with my students for figure drawing, I say, is it light or is it dark? Don't draw an edge try to build your edges and it was just actually yesterday uh no, sunday at visual arts passage a woman had a was kind of a you know this three-quarter and there's a lot of really interesting shapes you know mm. and if you just try oh, to get that too much with a line i said bring in the space 
to cut that cheekbone. Bring in the space to get that top part of that eye. When you um, are able to make a connection between the background and the subject, it's going to be much more interesting, kind of like mm -hmm. visual eye candy, mm -hmm. yes. because mystery is there. Mystery. We have, where is that going? What is that? And yes. um, I, I know you and I kind of talked about it, Addie, but I have a, uh, uh, an event that I'm going to be doing that I kind of do some things every month. And it's all going to be about things with symbolism. And uh, so even beyond the fact that we've got this abstraction and this interesting color field and, and realism comes out of that, what colors do you choose and what do they mean? Yes. What kind of mark making tools do you use? And what do those mean? Mm. What kind of textural underground and materials and are your panels layered? What's your format? Which, you know, the, the, is it elongated? Is it super, you know, vertical? All of those things become part of the message because they become just like an artist is made up of a lot of things, right? a painting is made up a lot of things mm -hmm. and you know paintings can have I mean I take mine right onto the sides right you know I paint continues right on the sides yeah. and okay. so a painting becomes an experience for the viewer it becomes an experience for the artist and so that artist viewer experience becomes a dialogue especially mm -hmm. now, yes. like with, you know, social media and the things that we have, people can have much more of a conversation than we were ever, like when I first started out mm -hmm. you know, in the mm -hmm. industry. I mean, you know, so now it becomes, you know, with social media, people come comment and, and, and you kind of see feedback in a more instantaneous way. But I think with, uh, you know, getting back to the question between imagination and realism, it's really about what you feed yourself, you know? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And if you, you bring in interesting things and you let it go through mm -hmm. you, right? Mm -hmm. And, you know, none of this like, oh, expectation, I'm working on a really great surface and I don't want to make it. You got to let that go. So how do you do that? You play first. Yes. Just using yeah. scraps. Just get yourself in the zone. Practice that often mm -hmm. in five minutes. You know, there's some terrific tools. One of the things I show my students is you can get this um, graphite. Um, uh, it's kind of like a like a putty and you can wet it and it, it, it can work dry, but you can take a scrap of it, wet it and it becomes watercolor. So even on the go, like if you wanted to, you had a little bit of time before like a, an appointment or something, you know, you can make something interesting and it wipes out just like watercolor too so you just have a little water bottle you could play around with it yeah, yeah. so that's kind of my two cents on okay the abstract and realism I guess okay great wow well I have to share for the listeners listeners Lisa as she's been talking has been sculpting the air with her hands and it's so beautiful to watch it's great you know every everything she's describing it's like she's creating it in the space right in front of her and and molding it with her hands and it's just beautiful um my next question for you lisa sear you've written several books how have you decided which topics to write about 
what was your process for creating them? I know you said some of it was just, I'm just doing it all the time. I'm just all those little moments. Yeah. How did the process go? I think there comes a time when you're working with certain things and you say to yourself, I have to have a place that I can put these things because obviously you, well, now with Zoom, things are very, very different, but you could only have, they would tap out 15 people, you know, maybe 20 in a class, you know, and then you're yeah. doing you're repeating and you come to a place where you say, okay, I need to have a place where I need to put this, you know, like something that somebody could, okay, I can get more. Like, in other mm -hmm. words, I look at books kind of like a larger extension to a classroom experience. Okay. You know what I mean? Like, mm -hmm. I, I feel like sometimes, you know, you say, okay, yes, we're creative beings, but some of us are teachers, natural sense of being a teacher. So mm -hmm. I've come to the realization that teaching doesn't have to necessarily be in walls, like you don't have to have walls. They can be a larger experience. You can speak to a larger consciousness, a larger global um, you know, environment with a book because of mm -hmm. the distribution of that book. And many of my books are in five different languages. So these are ways that you can talk to other people and have this global conversation, this dialogue, okay? Yeah. Of things that you've been thinking about. Um, and let other people share within that. And I'm a, a big believer in uh, if you've had the opportunity to experience or learn something, find a way of sharing those things. Because when you share stuff, you're putting out seeds out there and those things grow. You learn by teaching. Okay. Mm -hmm. If I was just to experiment and just you know, use it all, like, I guess, for myself, I wouldn't know half the things I do, because I see other people taking what I do. And they do it in their own language and in their own process. And then I learn something from what they're doing, it just like taps into something else, of yes. potential, you yes. know, of something. And so you learn from all of those things. And then that just feeds into another level of uh, stretching the brain, you know, like mm -hmm. to, mm -hmm. um, you know, learn different potentials of things. So books, like deciding on the topic is really, you know, what is it that I want to share that I think may be of service to others in some way, right? Mm -hmm. So that becomes the sort of main global, uh, like if you think of a solar system, right? Your source material for a book is like the sun mm. and then all the things that are around the sun you know all the different planets one might be a book one might be um you know a magazine article another oh. one might be you know uh demos videotape lecture mm. you know because mm -hmm. they do a lot of lectures at schools and things like that one might be a class right so when you look at something it's not concrete so i if I had to use the industry term, I create intellectual properties, like things that have creative content that can be sliced and diced and changed around and fed to different, you know, different markets. 
Okay. So it's more of an entrepreneurial approach to um, utilizing the skills, the gifts, the talents, whatever it is that you have as an artist, instead of adopting to something like, well, okay, I've got to do this, you know, because that's what they expect from me. I like to be in charge of what I do. So I start out. um, So it's a grander thing than a book. Okay. It's that song. Okay. It's, Mm -hmm. it's creative content. It's that property. And then from there, because I tend to be more like an information architect in my brain, it's just the way I've always been, even since I've been a kid, like an organization freak, um, is I start to take that information and say, and of course, over the, over a course of a career, you have context, you've got publishers of different types, you've got magazine, you got, you know, I have those in place. And I say, well, what can I feed that with? And I start to think about how that intellectual property can be broken down into these different markets and how, when I'm doing the process, so if the landing thing is a book, like if that becomes the first that would help to ignite the rest of the, the elements of that property, I start to think like, well, what could I include? So I can have Uh, cross-pollination. So I think in multimedia, just like I'm painting in multimedia, it's no different, I think, strategically Hmm. in multimedia. How can I cross-pollinate? So books will have Mm -hmm. QR codes, the videos, and so it's all cross-pollination of that property. And Mm -hmm. so- You're a bee. (laughs) You're a bee. (laughs) I am a worker bee, right? And you happen to be wearing yellow and black today. Okay, so there you go. There you go. Um, but I think that's where it starts. Mm-hmm. And so if we then go to the specifics um, of doing a book, I pull from that content and I try to think of things without duplication. So don't duplicate what's going to be for this. Don't duplicate what's going to be for that, you know, other other areas, right? Okay. So what is the book's unique niche? And then from there, I, you know, you start to do what they call a book map. And so a book map literally defines the scope spread by spread and the page count. And because once those things get locked in, the publisher already has that budgeted, you know what I mean? Like you're not going to like start to change and uh, any good writer is going to have a solid book map. And the solid book map for me is so detailed uh, in my own notations. I mean, it's a physical thing. You can actually see, you know, the content and what the spreads is. But I actually get very detailed so that every chapter provides something new, but yet adds to the content. And so if I have a demo and I know it's, I want, you know, certain part of the process may be repetitive. I won't play up on that. Okay. Mm-hmm. Because you can see it somewhere else. Mm-hmm. So you, when you write a book, you're thinking about the global thing. You're thinking about the specific to the book, but then you're thinking about the book as a whole then the chapters that relate to the whole, but provide something new in a building block kind of learning way. Mm-hmm. So in a way, if it's a how-to book, of course, I'm not talking about a novel, you know, with a character mm-hmm. and stuff like that. 
I am trying to find a way to communicate information in a way that I'm utilizing years of teaching, right? Mm-hmm. And then there's on, you know, obviously you got within a chapter that's going to have its own breakdown, you know, are there sidebars or the this or the that, where are the demos, what, you know, how is that going to break down? And then beyond all that, it's the visual language of the book. Mm-hmm. What is the style guide? Like what is, you know, you, you start to think about what's the best way to visually interpret information that's not only going to be relevant for a print book, but for an ebook that now is, um, you know, there's, there's books now that they can manipulate in certain ways that can really help for different languages, people with disabilities. Um, when you even come up with a title of a book, you know, how does that translate in different languages? You know, mm. you're also <laughs> taking into account what's it going to look like on a shelf? You know, if it's the turnout book, you know, what's it most sales international or online? What's that going to be about? The other thing you're you're looking at is the English language. If it's interpreted into, you know, Chinese or another language, the physical word count look. Okay. In other words, we have to make sure that when it is being translated that it's not going to change our, our visuals, right? So we, so there's so many things when you're doing books that's, you know, just to keep into consideration, okay? Mm-hmm. And then as you're doing the book too, then there's the book is almost done and then they already start promoting it. And so then you um, are talking about, are you going to have video book trailers? You know, there's like a whole nother events and promotional lectures and signings. And so you're not even done the book and now you're already in transition to those things. So that's why I'm kind of already in that mode right in the beginning, mm-hmm. because it's really hard once you have something to kind of think later, oh, I could have done this if I've only wanted to know that. Having so much experience doing books and being a writer and just having that information architect, organizer, weirdo of me, <laughs> um, I think about all those things right up front. Okay. So I'm able to coordinate with my PR people and my magazines that I work for. And I come up, I, you know, I've even done promotional things that have gotten awards and I work with paper companies. I mean, all these things are connections and people, you know, that I was working with all along, you know, in organizations Mm -hmm. that I do lectures at everything becomes, Oh, okay. So when you do this, let's, you know, also include that. So it becomes like a natural thing. You know what I mean? So when you say a book, it's really not just, okay, we're going to teach this. Mm-hmm. It's bigger than that. You know what I mean? And you have to think about what's in it for the person that's reading it. You know, where's that going to take them? Mm-hmm. Thinking about their mm-hmm. journey, thinking about that element of language. How can you pull people in in a different way and say things in a different way and have it have meeting, you know, like for them, you know, and not just about Uh, Okay, so this is kind of interesting, too, is um, so once you do a book, 
then there's there's guidelines and also that you've got this whole like how they want you to kind of do things and that's something you sometimes you have to be willing to negotiate you know like your style and if you've done really well sales wise um with books you bring more negotiation to the table and they let you in on the process a lot more in terms of you know what's the cover going to look like what's the you know the design i mean you have probably the least amount of like input for the cover but i had a lot of input for interior stuff so got to okay. work with designers and i mean so because i'm a good designer myself you know what i mean and i want awards for that stuff and i teach designers too so i think that's kind of played a you know a, a play in it but i i think like i said it's it's not just the content it's the messaging and it's the physicality of something mm -hmm. i mean mm -hmm. some of my promotional books one has a handle to it in other words die cuts and fancy all, all kinds of stuff we got to really explore you know but you have to look at you know what's the price point you know when the economy changes you look at what's the different price points and you know so with my other books we changed and we had like a kind of a flexi bound which is kind of a, a, a wrap around thick soft mm -hmm. cover that goes mm -hmm. in so you play around with book formats. I'm just like a real super geek when I go to Barnes and Noble. I'm always oh, yeah. yeah, little formats. Yeah, but I, I was really lucky. I've got a lot of books that literally are one of a kind in terms of mm -hmm. what they physically look at. Very interesting use of materials, collaborated, collaborated with some of the top designers to work with me to do it yeah so i really wow. lucked out but they were friends right so i got okay. to bring them into the mix with the publisher so i have had a lot of really i mean i love books but now it's it really the um you know the ebook and and utilizing um you know interactive links to you know video and, and mm. that's kind of where things are you know now so okay. um so it's interesting. So I, I I think that was a lot about books, but yeah. I don't know if anybody else is interested in that. But I yeah, yeah. I, I like books. I like I like I just like the physical aspect of a book. Yeah, the construction yeah. of a book. Yeah, and and definitely like any creative project, they're building blocks. There's yeah. many different elements that we have to think about to piece them together like a puzzle. Yes. And exactly. sometimes it's nice to do a teeny little project and I just, you know, I can do this in a couple of hours. It's still using all those parts of my brain and I'm yep. absolutely splicing and dicing. And then we have a big project that's yes, think bigger and and take your time with it because mm -hmm. it's it just things take time. Yes. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. So well, my next question for you is that on Friday, you're hosting a free online chat and you've, you're doing these every so often. Yep. This one's called Symbolism, Anagrams and Visual Puzzles, which just caught my eye and I said, I gotta hear this. So I'm gonna be listening on Friday. And for anybody who's listening now, um, if you miss this one, Lisa does them um, every so often and you can sign up for her newsletter on her website, yeah. which we'll link below so that you could um, be in on these free online chat conversations. So Lisa, tell us about the symbolism, what you're gonna talk about. Yeah, I'm excited. Yeah, well, you know, one of the things about, uh, we were talking about, you know, 
the importance of, you know, how we layered things, right? Yes. And the types of materials and the tools and, you know, the certain kind of mark making, that all has a language that we innately mm. communicate on some level. It reminds us something, it triggers something, you know, and what I'm going to talk about um, on Friday will relate to another layer of something that you can add. Uh, okay. Some will use elements of uh, words, words scrambled in hidden messages where people and strategically put, I don't want to give too much away. Yeah. Okay. But <laughs> what, what we, what we do um, when we have uh, paintings, we have the power to communicate on many levels. And one yes. of them is intellectually. So there's, there's that aspect of we respond innately to certain things, right? Shapes, colors, all that stuff. But then there's something that we see and we recognize, and we know that it's related to something else. And if you have a hint that a particular artist or creative person does these kinds of things in your work, you try to figure out what that is. So that creates brain energy, okay? So anytime you can engage the brain, things start to happen, okay, internally. And when things start to happen internally in the brain, memory kicks in. So brain activity and engagement, okay, create stored memories. Hmm. It sparks other things. You're inviting the viewer to participate in the overall messaging of your work in some way. Okay, so anagrams, basically, you can use words, phrases, pictorial items, but you rearrange them in a certain way. So it's not so obvious. Okay, okay, so they see it, and then they start to see something else and something else. And oh, my gosh, oh, she uses numbers and numerology, and she uses all these different things. Why is that relevant to this picture? Okay, mm -hmm. and then it starts to put little pieces. So if you have to say, you can have a narrative, right? A narrative picture will give you, okay, this is a slice of life scene. And we can see everything like in that time slot of a scene. Mm. Or you can give what we call a plural pluralistic picture, which is more poetic. It's like, instead of here's everything, you know, of what's going on at this moment in time, Here's bits of information, hints to a story. Okay. But you have to participate in it. Okay. Okay. So it's it's an engagement. So um one interesting just little fact is that when you're reading a story in a book, yeah. you burn more calories than if you were actually watching a movie or watching something on television. Now, certainly it's not because you're clicking the clicker or turning the page. <laughs> One is more, you know, uh, <laughs> calorically uh, intense than the other. What's happening when you read, you have to fill in the characters. You have to fill in the scenes. Okay. Your brain needs to do, and, and it's the perfect you know, protagonist or, you know, lead characters. It's you using your brain to fill in those pieces. When you are given something, audio, you know, movement, you know, the video, it's there. The characters are there. Okay. Mm -hmm. So it's a passive communications. It's a passive interaction. When you put 
something in a picture that isn't just a laid out scene. And this is, you can study the brain. You know, you can read a lot about this. The brain goes, what's this? I need to pay attention because it hasn't seen that before. It okay. doesn't have, like when you say, okay, I've got like a still life and there's flowers. And I've seen a still life. I've seen the flowers. I've seen the table. I have something in my brain, probably seen it back when I was a kid, probably seen it several times. I get it. They say, I get that. Okay. When you start to rearrange things and change things, the brain goes, what is that? Okay, I can't store that now. I can't figure out where I need to put that. So I got to look a little bit more, you know, I got to figure that out. Like, what is that? And so just that question of what is that and not knowing where you're going to put that or store that, it starts to create a different kind of engagement. Now, it might be an engagement where somebody goes, I don't even know if I like that. You know what I mean? Okay. Yeah. But you've challenged them. Yes. Okay. And that's the difference. So it's kind of a di not one better than the other. Narrative, okay. pluralistic, not one, totally not okay. better than the other, because you could even take a natural scene and just completely give it a whole different lighting scenario. You see what I mean? Yeah. yeah. But somehow when you're talking about symbolism and you're talking about um, changing, scrambling up, doing something in a way that is not seen like I'm going through life, right? And I see okay. things. Yes. I got to think about it a little bit more, you know? Whether they, like I said, where it's a positive or, or a negative, it's still something that the brain hasn't had the opportunity to classify it. And of course, most artists who've seen tons of art, we have a classification. Oh, I know that. I've seen work like that. You see what I mean? Mm -hmm. But for, for really the general audience, it's a, it becomes different. So mm -hmm. when you introduce text or visual pictures or numbers or things like that, that's something they recognize. But now it's in a, like, it's not in like how they would normally see it. Right. So that's another way of, instead of looking at abstraction and seeing like, you know, in a tree bark, you see something or in the clouds, you see that like in your painting, right? This is using um, like these number symbols, like where's Waldo? Like where yeah, is yeah. So without getting more into what that is, because it's so much easier visually, you know, for me to show you where I've gone yeah. with that. And then it's revealing things and pushing things back you know, yeah. and using, you know, do you take the painting surface and you lift it up, you know, by maybe double panels? Well, what does that oh. mean? Different mm -hmm. realms, right? Okay. Different ways of existence. You know, we, we exist in, you know, our internal worlds, right? And then we have an existence of, you know, how we are with others. And so there's, mm -hmm. there's always thinking about states of mind, Writers do this all the time. I love hearing about writers and their process and their storytelling. And I love to listen to classic, good literature, mm -hmm. poetry and narrative stuff, mm -hmm. because what they leave out and what they show you is the same thing that art does. Mm -hmm. you leave out sometimes becomes more powerful than showing everything. Mm. or 
you have a scene, it's a naturalistic scene, and the title does not relate to that scene. Mm. And they start thinking, what is this about, really? Then it becomes a metaphor. You see what I mean? Right. Something completely different. One of the things I, I love C.S. Lewis, he did a, a lot of interesting things. Of course, most people know the Chronicles of Narnia mm -hmm. and the scholarship behind that. Well, after his death, uh, C.S. Lewis was very much into the planets. He loved the planets. Okay. So the Chronicles of Narnia, of Narnia, every single one of those stories relates to a planet. The planet is why he chose, is it the sun? Uh, why is it snowy? Why is it this? Why are the characters like this? So he did a hidden thing that nobody else knew about until you sort of could figure it out. Like till like people who study and study and study kind of figured it out. Then they tracked it through the whole stories and that, okay, yeah, that makes sense. Okay. I do that with my writing and sometimes I do that with my pictures because it's like, what is that element? So I might be writing. It might even be about, um, an article, oh, please demo about this particular work or process. And I said, I want this all to be about uh, theater. And so all the mm -hmm. words I use are, you know, the things like the choreography or the, the symphony or the rhythms, everything relates to music or movement or, mm -hmm. so it's my hidden thing, you know? And I think I wanted that particular, it was like the, the the dance of the something line. I forgot what exactly it was, but everything related to this hidden thing that related to theater. So sometimes I'll give myself this hidden thing mm. and everything that relates to that hidden thing that maybe people really don't know about until I maybe tell them, but it's okay. my internal game to make those connections. It's, you know, sometimes as artists, we have to keep challenging ourselves, you know? And so I, that was my takeaway. You know, when you learn something from somebody else and you go, oh my God, that's brilliant. That's so cool. So everything has a relationship of something that's hidden. And so I took that from that, you know? So there's things that we'll learn and we'll take from others, other creative people, writers, things that I've learned um, from writers, that, that element of when we expose something and where and how much of it you know, and yeah. then, so the, the, the deadly 50-50 ratio, you don't want to have half of this and half of that because it cancels itself out. You know, I always mm -hmm. tell students, it's like trying to scream at a loud concert. Nobody's going to hear you, you know? So, but if you have something that you create contrast to your work, like this predominantly cool environment with just this hint of like one third of warms, it's mm -hmm. like, pow, you know what I mean? It's kind mm -hmm. of that um, I think that's my illustrator training is you really want to, you know, resonate with somebody is you mm -hmm. need to have, you really need to control things with your temperature and you know, your line and all of these things in, in a ratio that, you know, it's like to know things are good in your life, you experience bad, right? <laughs> Otherwise it's all good. So seriously, right? Yeah, yeah. It's all, if everything's all good, you don't really know how good it is until bad comes, right? Yeah. So that's what, that's what, how we can experience pictorially uh, to really get something across is to control the opposite of that, you know? Ah, okay. So there's a two thirds of something and one third of something else. It creates enough of a contrast. And just if you want to get into like, 
you know, just some of the professional aspects of it. Most of our work, if we're an illustrator or we're a fine artist, it gets put in reproduction, like a catalog or something. So when we have original art, we can see with the human eye millions of colors. The minute it gets photographed, we're into what, thousands, and then it gets onto the computer and then it gets printed. And so now we're our color gamut and total crunch really decreases. So if you're good at controlling those contrasts, you'll have a better result, you know, you know, when it comes with reproduction. But it's really more about language and hitting somebody. You know, mm -hmm. I, I think too, um, you know, when you're you're talking about, you know, using symbolism, how about when you go to a movie, you know, and some movies you'll go and it's like, oh, that was great. It was funny. Yeah. But it's kind of forget, you forget about it. You know what I mean? Like, kind of after the mm -hmm. movie mm -hmm. and then you go to these other movies and they had such deep levels of messaging that you get out of there and you feel like like a little bit changed you know what I mean like you because they were using the characters as symbols they were using the characters in this metaphorical way that meets the human condition that we can all relate to you know mm -hmm. so when you talk about symbolism okay that's the power. It has meanings. It has meanings that connect to things that are bigger than the work. They're bigger than the art. And it's, mm. it's, it's like the, it, 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 it's grabbing on to stuff, you know, and it grabs on to past experiences that other people have. And many people, I mean, we have our own individual things, but there's many things that are very universal you know, our empathy mm -hmm. for other people, all, all these things, right? Mm -hmm. And characters in a movie, you know, things that we might uh, include, uh, you know, very powerful photography or, you know, it, it ties into uh, something that's more than what the image is. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Whether it's mm -hmm. a slice of life scene or more, you know, pluralistic. Plural just means multiple things that aren't, you know, like together to make one scene. Um, so I, whether it's cinema or photography or illustration or graphic design, you know, I've seen some very simplistic illustration for Time Magazine that just cuts to right to the core, you know, so, <laughs> it, you know, that's, that's the power of symbols, just in a general sense. Yeah, wow, okay. And that you're leading right into this next question, which is, what images do you think are most important to people? What symbols are most important to people? And what's your favorite symbol and what does it represent to you? Yeah, I don't really think about though that in those terms, you know, favorite symbol, okay. like to stick something in, you know what I mean? I think okay. it has to be, I guess it's again, back to my illustrator training because everything when you do illustration, it's about communicating, right? Okay. So I kind of think about like that team that I think with media, I think about, well, what's going to be the most powerful thing? And so to answer your question, it would be whatever I'm working on, whatever's going to be the most powerful for that piece, okay. you know, okay. and you can take anything, even something simple, make yeah. it powerful. It's context. Yeah. It's yeah. context. So you can't be like, well, what's, you know, I mean, that's like saying, oh, put a heart in because of love, you know, I mean, it's, it's way more than that, you know, it, it's, I think it's something that 
if you present things in a certain way and you, you know, you use, if it's the presentation. So let's say it's in a book. Well, a book allows you to write something about that piece. So that what mm-hmm. sets the stage for interpretation. Yes. You yes. can help now, but not see it through those, at least get you that vision, right? Yes. Or if it's on a gallery wall, it's a title. Or how you walk, you know, in, 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 in design, we call it wayfinding. How you walk somebody through a space. Okay. The way it's designed, the way the, the gallery space or whatever it is, is lit. You're creating an experience for the viewer in some way. It's not just, here's the painting. Is it on a website? How do you get to it? Is it on a gallery wall? How do you find your way there? And what did you see before? Because everything is sequential, right? Mm-hmm. What we see before dictates our perception of what we're going to see next. So when you're just, you know, if, if just putting up a bunch of things and it's just like, oh, they're all hanging and it feels in a space, there's, you can do things more powerful than that. You know, and I think these things are awesome at that. It's about creating experience. And so um, there's sequential forms of viewing, like a book, a book, you cannot see what's on the next page till you do what? But you were looking at everything before that. And then there's the art of the flip. Okay, so the art of the flip means what is on the outside of a lot of these pages. We think about that when we Mm -hmm. design books, Mm -hmm. because everything becomes how do I see something? How does it fit in somebody's hands? Mm -hmm. If I want to have an intimate connection, I'm going to create a smaller book. Because a smaller book changes when we look at a book, we have a cone of vision. Okay, so Mm -hmm. cone of vision is where like if i'm looking straight how far i can see right right but if i put something closer to me my cone of vision changes it's less okay and i mean obviously we don't read a book super far away right so a little intimate book we have something that's closer to the person and also know when somebody reads a book they do not read it as a group yeah one on one to somebody you know so understanding those kinds of things makes a big difference because it's all about experience so it again like we talked about with the book is you know the bigger picture the intellectual property how it's been it's that way with everything you know so how somebody interprets something is how you present it to them you know one of the things I you know we're doing websites with students and they'll just like have a lot of busy stuff and I'll be like wait a minute let's say something with this homepage, you know, like, what do you want to begin with? You know, if you're starting a movie or starting a theater production, you know, you don't want all the characters to be like, Hey, and they're all screaming at once at you. You know, you want to think about how are you going to, they can do this. Is it the background? Is it warmer colors, cooler tones? Because whatever our environment is in the gallery wall, color is influenced by other color, you know? So, Mm -hmm. you know, you have something that's hugely saturated next to something that's monochromatic. One's going to look less because of its relationship to the next one. So those are, you know, and you can design a space, even a space that has, you know, it's just kind of a box. You can put up partitions and Mm -hmm. you know what I mean? You can, you can figure out a different way in which you do the space. I've had friends who've done just really amazing things with just 
you know, the simplest of means um, mm -hmm. to make something in interesting. So, you know, maybe next time if there's, you, you've got an opportunity to, to do a show or something, think about what do you want to say with yeah. that opportunity, you know, yeah. and what kind of experience may you create, you know, with that opportunity? Because that's, it, I think it's always best not to do many things, but to do the things you do well thought out and well, yeah. you know, yeah. because those are more powerful and they will get you more mileage than my hamster, you know, <laughs> busy work. Right. Yeah. Uh, so, I mean, that's, so when it, you know, you say, well, what's my favorite, it starts to put things into I'm not thinking anymore. You know what I mean? It's like, okay. it's just the, 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 the automatic thing. Yes. And I think yeah. you can make anything, even a heart symbol, incredibly powerful. And yeah. I can tell you who did that uh, uh, personal friend um, who I've interviewed many times, Milton Glacier. He's Ooh. the one who came up with the, I love New York logo. Oh, okay. Okay. And he also came up with, I love New York even more after 9-11 and mm. that uses the symbol okay right and it's incredibly powerful yes so you you know it's context and what mm -hmm. is the context you know even more you know when he's got that addition on that people relate to that and actually yeah. that well I, I wrote about that in an article that was actually used to uh, get the broadcasting I, antenna back into one of the, so, you know, people could broadcast because we lost a lot. I, I was actually in New York at the time. So, it, you know, okay. we can take any symbol. So mm -hmm. I just gave an example of like, oh, a heart, you know, love, uh, you know, but we can take it because there's context before that. There's, there's a story behind that. Mm -hmm. It was used in a perceived period of time. I mean, you take the colors yellow and blue right now, together in a flag and that's going to mean a heck of a lot more than maybe what it would have before so right. context time and all of those things come into play right so it, it's really when you're talking about symbolism you tie into uh, a bigger context yes 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 so i have one teeny little add-on question for you lisa that i'm dying to ask you yeah, I sometimes worry that when someone views my work, they're going to misinterpret it. They're going to just see other things in it that I yeah. didn't intend. Yeah. Um, and sometimes maybe that's okay. It's just them projecting their own life experience onto it. Yeah. But what if it's really different than what I meant? You know, and so sometimes I'll do a lot of description about the piece or I'll make the title very very on point um yeah. and then we look at work like Kandinsky you know he started yeah. just doing no it's just improvisation number one two three he yeah, stopped yeah. caring about what people thought it was originally about yeah um do you worry about that too uh what are your thoughts on that um I don't know if I worry about that I okay okay that's where dialogue comes in and I think that's okay. honestly I think when um, people have thought different things, I thought, oh, that's really interesting. Okay. okay. <laughs> so it, it, it becomes like something that you're learning. 
You know what I mean? Because yeah. they're coming from a different culture. They're coming from a different background. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, I mean, they, I mean, as long as it's not like a bad thing, you know what I mean? I think other interpretations are really interesting. And I think that's what makes art unique, you know, uh, than, you know, other things, because you leave room for others to put their own uh, personality into it. And maybe it might be, you know, slightly different, or if it was different than my own, um, I'm learning from their journey. And hopefully I can take that in, you know, what I feel that might be something I could use, you know, and they take my interpretation in. So we both now have the beautiful experience of perceiving things from different eyes. And I think, you know, perception, different perspectives, I think all make something an, an interesting exchange. Um, the other thing is in terms of what you were mentioning about having descriptions, yeah, that, that helps people to, it channels them on the right wavelength of what okay. you are. Okay. Mm-hmm. But I'm not, no, totally do not worry about that because I think when you give birth to something, you got to let it go. You know what I mean? Okay. You got to yeah. put it out mm-hmm. there and let it go. And I think from just, if you want to just talk about, you know, uh, people who collect my work and stuff, they collect it because they're interested in the way you perceive things. So mm-hmm. it's not just about, oh, I really like this painting on a put over my couch. I think true collectors are interested in the story behind the painting, yeah. you know? Mm-hmm. Um, so the people who are gonna proliferate, you know, your career or the magazines uh, that will profile you, your perspective is strongly there. You know, if somebody just happened to come into a space and has a different viewpoint than you, that's great because, you know, they, you, they, they open your eyes to see other viewpoints. But if you talk about the grander scheme of things, the galleries, the collectors, all of the media that um, show your stance is where they come from, you know, the, the critics, it comes from your perspective, always leads the way. Okay. Like in the legacy of the work, those are the things that are going to be out in the culture mm-hmm. through the media, through, you know, the people who have a bigger collection of stuff of yours. The other smaller opinions, they just don't have the same power to like all of a sudden, you know, this, this, should I be worried that this one person or a few people may have had, it's just not going to have the same impact. Like, you know what I mean? Like where, mm. where it's been out to a larger mass, you know? Yeah. Yeah. But I think it's still valid. You know, I think it's still valid. And I think, um, you know, don't, don't worry about it. I, I, I think it's, you kind of, I don't know if you have kids, but um, I do. <laughs> yeah. So you know what happens? You're a mom, they go into kindergarten. You're like, Oh no, they're going out into the world. My poor little baby. <laughs> you gotta, you gotta put your mom pants on and let them go sometimes. You know what I mean? Like, like you got you like, they'll figure yeah. it out. They will not, not have lunch, you know? And if they do, they'll like figure it out, you know? So you, I, I get it, you know, cause you, you want to kind of control those kinds of things, but uh, it's uh, just been my experience that they've opened up some eyes of mine to see things I just wouldn't have thought about before, you know? Yeah. yeah and yeah. my daughter's done that too. Like she'll see something like, I 
just didn't see that. But she's just coming from like, I have no, you know, when she was little, I have no experience. So like, she's just kind of looking at it from just a, you know, an innate, you know, how do I have a reaction? So I'm like, oh, okay. So I guess the more we learn about like how others see things, mm. um, we can use it and we can not, don't have to, but you know, I, like I said, as long as it's not like bad, like you would feel bad if something was hurting somebody. Yeah, certainly that's an mm. issue, but just seeing it in a different way, it's just learning how different cultures and different people and different backgrounds and different generations you know, and all of that, you know, um, interact and living in New York, you know, that really, um, it would just be wherever you are, you'd have a show. And then, you know, I mean, it's like, you would get that. And to me, that's just so cool. That's cool. Mm -hmm. Because it opens your eyes to many different things. Because sometimes if we just are part of of where we come from, you know, um, it's limited, right? Mm-hmm. You know, there's other ways of connecting. So if we want to co- connect to a larger global consciousness, we got to be part of that consciousness and be open okay. to the way they see things and not worry. I think just say if you yeah. somebody had said, well, I didn't totally, I didn't, you know, see that all. And then say, that's great. That's okay. great. Because my art is about your experience. And if you, that's where you see that, I think that's a good thing. And thank you for sharing that with me. You know what I mean? Because it helps me to see, like, I didn't see that. And that's cool that you did. And, you know, uh, you know, that's, that opens my eyes to, because there's going to be something about, they, they'll tell you, explain to you what it was, how they came into that place. And you go, well, that's cool. Right. You know, so be, I think just be open to it. Don't worry about it. Um, but the larger, grander things, when you're in, you have your stuff in your book or you have your stuff it's there. You're, you're, it, that's what's dominating. Right. Okay. But that's probably what I would just say, just let it go. You, okay. like, like when you have the kid, you know, and he's got to go out to the world and you want to like, Oh no, it's don't fall. Don't do this. You know, just have yes. to let it go and let them be right. Let them okay. be who they are. And mm-hmm. so people will see certain things in them and, um, you know, help them along their way in their journey. And so that's kind of like where a painting goes out. Yes, right on. Oh, wonderful. Well, Lisa, thank you so much for chatting with me. I appreciate you being on the show. Um, and so I guess we'll sign off in a moment. If you have one final thought for the listeners, then we could share that. Please, if they're not already sick of me talking. <laughs> <laughs> they're listening very intently. <laughs> yeah, well, let's hope that uh, I didn't uh, give them too much information or bore them. But I, no. I just think, you know, if I had to end with something, um, mm. it would be if, you know, you are somebody who's new to art okay Mm, okay think about the things that you've been doing for the course of your life and the things that you enjoy and when it comes to making something or creating that's your journey that's your process that's your meditation that's your moment it doesn't matter you know what other people perceive or what they see maybe in your work it's really about you you don't even have to show your work if you 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 don't want to 
but don't feel, um, one of the things I get a lot is people feel expectations because they were a lawyer for like 20 years, 30 years. And now they, you know, there's a perfectionism that people hold on to. Uh, and I think more than ever in this world where we need to connect to our inner selves, creativity, and this is a proven fact, it actually lowers cortisol levels, creativity, art, self-expression, like I said, whether it's writing or cooking or gardening or whatever, find that part of yourself, um, explore it, push it, change it, you know, play around with it, use it as this energy that when you were a kid and you just went out and played and just had fun because it was fun just for the sake of having fun um i think we need to have more of that um more of those special places uh in our in our culture and for those of you who've been painting and drawing and things like that and you get kind of hung up on oh sales and this and that and all of those things Go back to what makes you most happy when you're doing your process. Mm. Go back to those moments, increase those periods of time, be still with your process. There is something inside of you that is guiding you. Mm. And in all the loudness and the chaos and the distractions and everything and the demands, it, it, my goodness, messages coming at us like 24 seven, we don't, we don't catch because the, the special qualities that are in us, that are in our inner creative souls, speaks and whispers. It doesn't speak loud. Uh, it ooh, speaks and whispers. Yeah, yeah. And if you can't find the time, and I'm talking even if it's the five minutes, it's not the 10 hours. It's just putting yourself in that zone of just picking up materials and making something with it that didn't exist before that came mm. purely from you. There was no demo, no step-by-step, -step, no this, no that, just pure making like you did when you were a kid. You're going to get back in touch with what's really important to you. And if changing your process from being maybe somebody who did work that you know, learned in school and you just kept, you know, go keeping that same work that you've been doing and there's an inner child that just wants to do something completely different that almost becomes uniquely your voice let it go and it may be something you just do in your own quiet space until you feel that you you're you're ready to share it with other people then you do that but don't hold yourself back because you think that maybe your gallery expects this of you or this expects of you or that's what you've been doing all this all along I think everything that we've been talking about today about mixing media and, and following your own journey and, and thinking more intellectually about your work and your process, all those things help you to discover yourself. And if art isn't there to help you in service to you and discovering yourself, then it just becomes, it could be any job. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. So, mm -hmm. um, I really want to encourage people um, to really get back to that place where they were just purely um, in themselves, you know, genuine. Yeah. So that's what I'll leave uh, you yes. with. And I, like I said, I hope that, you know, everybody enjoyed it. And I don't know when the podcast will come out, but yes, 
Um, I do have a thing on Friday. And I should also mention Saturday, the 26th, I write for a blog called Money Colors. And I will have a post on Mindscapes and I will be exploring embossed paper art, which I will, I, you know, I've been painting and embossing uh, by hand and also running through press with Colograph plates that I create. Okay. Um, so uh, that's something, if you're interested, I do have uh, that going up as well. So, okay. Wonderful. Wonderful. Thank you so much, Lisa Sear. Oh, you're welcome. This concludes the Alchemy of Art podcast. May these thoughts and stories comfort and heal your spirit. May you be filled with inspiration as I certainly am feeling after having talked to Lisa today. May you be like the lotus flower and build your home in the muddy water. May you find your voice. <laughs>